Welcome to Get to Gnosis, a podcast brought to you by the Gnosis Builders team. I'm your host, Chantelle Omoyi. In this episode, we'll be diving into one of Web3's biggest problems, privacy. And today we're joined by the CEO and founder of Hopper. Hopper is revolutionizing data transfer between users through its incentivized peer-to-peer mixnet. Welcome to the podcast, Sebastian. Thanks for having me, Chantal. It's very wonderful to be here and, you know, get more exposure and talk about what we do in the Gnosis family. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of deep dive and I hope that you're having a great day so far. Absolutely. I'm in Lisbon right now and it's a wonderful place to be. I agree. I'm very gel. (laughs) So our first segment today is Define This. Like I said, what you're building at Hopper right now is incredibly technical. And so to make sure we're all on the same page, I've got three key words that I would like you to kind of define for us. And the first one is, what's a mixnet? What's a mixnet? So basically, um, as we communicate on the internet, we are having secure communication. Like, for example, when you open up your WhatsApp, it tells you that it's end-to-end encrypted, right? But in fact, it's not really private. So there's all sorts of metadata that, you know, not just three-letter agencies, but also strong um, and big for-profit corporation can harvest about you as an individual. And that's a problem. So mixnets are basically setting out to improve the privacy standards for data that's being transported way beyond what many people know as a VPN, right? So maybe many listeners are have used a VPN at some point. Maybe some have even used Tor. Neither of these solutions is particularly private. So mixnets are an attempt at making data and transport being much more private against specifically strong adversaries, as we call them. So like, you know, your favorite governmental agency or your internet service provider or agencies, uh, you know, or or corporations, not agencies, but close to like uh, Google, Cloudflare, and many others of the private for-profit players that are running the internet of today. So in a nutshell, what, what, we, what happens in a mixnet is that you're not just sending data to one server, which runs a VPN, but there's multiple um, intermediate nodes, which are relaying data packets and mixing them up. So it's basically like a data mixer, not to be confused with an on-chain money mixer. We don't mix money, we mix data. Data that's in transport from Alice to Bob, basically. It sounds like it's very needed. I think a lot of us believe that apps like WhatsApp are like incredibly private <laughs> to learn that they're not. A... Yeah. <laughs> could be a bit scary. Yeah, 100% agree. Okay, so word number two is, well, it's not a word. Um, it's RPC. RPC, yeah. What is RPC? That's That's a really good question. So I guess most listeners here have been, you know, touching a blockchain, maybe Gnosis chain, maybe Ethereum mainnet or whatever other chains. And, um, you know, what do we actually mean when we say you've used a blockchain? Well, typically, it means that you've used a wallet. In your wallet, when you start it, it shows you, for example, what's my XDAI balance on Gnosis Chain? Or what is my ETH balance on Ethereum mainnet? Now, your wallet is actually a pretty stupid piece of software that doesn't know absolutely anything about the blockchain. So your wallet is, in fact, asking a server, hey, what's my ETH balance? You know, what's my Hopper token balance? How much does this transaction cost? Or also, you know, you need to send your transaction to that server. 
And these calls that your wallet is making is, are also called remote procedure calls. It's a complicated word that we abbreviate with RPC. So these RPC calls is what your wallet is making under the hood to communicate with the server that is running an Ethereum or Gnosis chain uh, client to obtain this information from the chain. Thank you. I think a lot of the time we think that our wallets are really sophisticated. It seems like there's a lot happening on the back end that we don't see. On the wallet side, there's there's one thing that I find surprising. Like, you know, many people know this dropdown in MetaMask, for example, where you select a network, right? Mm -hmm. Like Gnosis Chain or Mainnet or, you know, Optimism or whatever. But in fact, it, the fact is you're not selecting a network. You're selecting a server that's operated by some other party. And we will later on get into why I think that's a pretty big problem. But like, that's a pretty big marketing achievement that we call this server that we're connected to. Like, it is in a dropdown listed as a network. So that's kind of obfuscating what is actually going on there. And I think that's a problem, but we'll get to that later. I'm looking forward to it. And the final word here, well, it's two words, is censorship resistance. Censorship resistance is a big one. So basically with crypto, we want to, like the highest level goal to me is we want to empower the individual, right? We want to empower an individual to, you know, not be held back in their actions that they take as a free human being. And, you know, they might be suppressed from governments, from corporations, from their neighbor, from whatever that may be. Um, I recently hear also a lot of people that are increasingly concerned about AI, right? So in general, I think we should all in this crypto space strive for technology that empowers the individual. And that means censorship resistance. We must ensure that at all times I can spend my funds, I can interact with dApps, and I can use my data that I, as a self-sovereign individual, you know, have and manage. So self-censorship so resistance means I can do all that in a way that cannot be taken away from me from, you know, any third party explicitly and specifically powerful for-profit corporations of the Web2 world. Yeah, I mean, I think... A lot of the time we see people being like deep platformed and things like that, especially like now when you look to like Twitter and applications like that, people get suspended all the time, their accounts get taken away. And I think ultimately we should be building for a future where that can't just happen, like people can't just, or corporations can't just pull the rug out from under you. 100% agree. Yeah. So that's basically where crypto started. And I have the feeling... You know, at some point in a, in a hype cycles, when you're close to the top, um, that that notion and this value gets a little bit lost. So, yeah, it's cool to see that there's, you know, um, that there's folks like uh, like Gnosis, for example, who very much uphold these values at all times and, you know, push towards them. Yeah, you can't get lost in the hype. You know, we're building for the long term. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, so I know, and I'm sure you know, but like, why is privacy and maybe also data protection, like why are they such a huge problem in the blockchain industry? Um, as, as we discussed, basically it is about empowering the individual, right? It's about empowering the individual and to give them fundamental technology guaranteed rights that cannot be taken away from them to spend your money to you know, use your data and to interact with apps and services. Now that's kind of cool, right? And we can think, hey, actually, decentralization and um, you know, self-custodial money gets us all the way there. But it turns out that's not really so helpful if there's all sorts of people spying on you. 
And, you know, being spied upon, you can say, well, I didn't take anything away from you, you know, but you live in a glass house. If you live in a glass house that doesn't have curtains, you'd probably not feel comfortable, even though you could do whatever you want to in that glass house, right? And that is effectively where crypto is headed. Crypto is headed towards having these bulletproof glass houses that we all live in. And I think that's a problem. That's a pretty fundamental problem. And we need to solve it on all sorts of levels, right? Hopper is is solving one particular problem of data transport, as uh, I guess we'll get to. But yeah, so data privacy, specifically in the crypto and Web3 ecosystem, is a problem because these technologies, these peer-to-peer technologies, are inherently open, so even more transparent than in the Web2 world of today. Yeah, I, when you think about it, it's... It's very interesting that there's so many people that are very willing to have their entire transaction history be public right now. You can peer into anyone's wallet. You can see everything, all the, like the history of transactions. It doesn't feel safe. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is crazy. It's, it's crazy to like, think about, you know, the linkability to me, uh, like one thing that, that people underestimate is linkability. Like seeing my account, I might say, hey, you know, whatever. My ENS domain, it's tied to my name, whatever. But how many links do you really establish to other accounts and like to off-chain identities? And that could be a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, whatever you do with your money should be your own choice. But if you move money across exchanges or if you use centralized services that are, you know, having uh, some insights in allow them to link your accounts, that's a problem. And that's... Yeah, that's something which we really all need to fix to have a Web3 that is safe for everyone and not, you know, in a very big surprise 10 years down the line when somebody found out, oh, you know, all these accounts were also managed by Chantel. I didn't know. Maybe I wasn't supposed to know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's your right. You have a right to privacy. No, it's very true. And I know that, like, we we say privacy is a massive problem, but I don't think the emphasis is placed all the time. So... It's really good to see that you're building in this space and like ensuring the future for us. <laughs> Trying to, like, as we sometimes like to say, you know, privacy is your insurance policy. I like that a lot. So we we know where we are today. Everything is basically visible for everyone. How do you see it changing? And what part do you want to play in that? First of all, lots of things need to change, right? So um, in order to improve the pretty sad state of privacy in the crypto world today, we need significant full stack privacy. And what I mean with full stack privacy is a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And that um, very much um, impacts privacy as well, right? So it's great that we have on-chain privacy and there's people working on on great solutions of on-chain privacy, right? So one to to shout out to, even though it unfortunately got um, shut down is obviously Tornado Cash, right? Um, Which is a, you know, fantastic privacy tool. In fact, so fantastic that even the Federal Reserve of the US has said, you know, this is an uh, important tool to protect your privacy on-chain. Like, yes, guys, uh, please talk to that other agency that, you know, fails to understand that. Um, and that's great. On-chain privacy is great, right? There's other projects like AdTech that established at a railgun and a bunch of others, which is really amazing. But that's not all. Um, we need full-stack privacy, and not everything just happens on-chain. Data also has to get to the chain, right? We talked about the connection between your wallet and you know these servers that are run typically by other people that run 
um, kind of Ethereum or Nelson's chain nodes. And that interaction also has to be private. And that is specifically the role that, um, you know, actually I and Hopper want to play. So we want to establish privacy at the most fundamental layer in the Web3 where you exchange data, right? This peer-to-peer network, as the name suggests, there is peers that talk with one another and exchange data. And that data exchange has to be kept private. And that is specifically what we're building at Hopper. Infrastructure that allows you to keep data that's been exchanged uh, private. In your answer, you briefly touched, you said the word centralized. So I have to ask, you know, and I don't mean to ask a spicy question. So early on in this episode, anyway, I'd love to touch on RPCH, um, which you're building on top of Hopper. And because, you know, at Gnosis Chain, we want to propel decentralization further. But in this space, we do see a lot of centralized players. So I want to know what's your take. I mean, from our side, uh, we're building general purpose technology, which is called Hopper. Right? So Hopper is this technology that allows you to send data from A to B, um, whatever it happens to be. Right? You can build a private chat app on top of Hopper. In fact, uh, we've done that early on. You can you know, build games on top of Hopper if you want to build like a private chess game that people played on top of Hopper. Um, but the one thing that we are specifically concerned about is the interactions between these wallets and you know, nodes, these RPC nodes. And to solve that, we built RPCH. So RPCH is basically, as we like to say, the first truly private RPC provider, which is allowing your wallet to interface these RPC providers, for example, again, to ask, hey, how how many ETH do I have? You have, you know, 1.23 ETH. What's my token balance? You have, you know, 225 Hopper tokens. So these interactions to, um, to keep them private. That is, um, that is something that we're building. And that is, I think, a very fundamental building block in taking the Web3 to the next level. I mean, I agree. I'm, and I'd like to kind of dive deeper into how it works. It's okay, we can get a bit technical for anyone that's listening that is technical. Yeah. Um, yeah, so how does Hopper work? So basically, uh, let, let's start really again once uh, just briefly with the problem, right? So the problem is if your wallet is, um, you know, connecting to an RPC provider directly, or even if you run your own Ethereum Monosis chain node that talks to another Ethereum node, um, you know, that's a peer-to-peer connection. So you're always leaking your IP address. And know there's people who might say, hey, you know what, Sebastian, I don't really care. My IP address, what does my IP address tell about me? Well, you know what? your IP address is going to turn into a primary identifier that is synonymous with your name, right? So the primary problem in my eyes is linkability. All of us have like multiple accounts. Nobody has just one Ethereum account, right? That's that's crazy to think of. So you have probably, maybe you have an ENS name, right? Maybe you, you use POAPs. Um, when you went to some, you know, crypto events, people give up these POAPs, which is really cool. And they're tied to your name and your identity, which is, you know, that's cool and that's fine. But maybe you have another account which has your life saving on it. Maybe you have another one where you do like some absolute degen shit, you know, which you are not so proud about. So you want to keep these accounts separate from one another. It is not acceptable that your IP address becomes a primary identifier here. So what we do is instead of having direct communication um, between your wallet and this RPC server, or again, between any two peers in the network, we're not sending data directly. We're relaying data 
uh, via multiple intermediate hops, right? What we call hops. So basically this is a hopper node which is running on somebody else's computer. And what they're doing is basically in a trustless way, they're relaying data packets for you. So I send a back packet to Chantel, but like I don't want to expose myself to Chantel directly. So I send it to Alice, who sends it to Bob, who sends it to Charlie, who sends it to Chantel. So and therefore Chantel only sees Charlie and Charlie has no idea that Chantel is actually the recipient, right? Uh, Charlie also uh, doesn't know that that Bob wasn't actually the original sender. They're just intermediate relayers who don't get to see anything in this whole relay chain. And yeah, that is that is at the core um, of how we bring privacy. And for the ones who say, hey, you know what, that sounds pretty much like Tor. That's right. That's actually how I just described it. That's actually how Tor works. And there's two additional uh, significant improvements that we do here upon Tor. The first one is um, what we talked about in the beginning, which is a mixnet. We're not just relaying these data packets. We are kind of caching them for a short amount of time. We receive a bunch of other packets, and then we transform them and shuffle them up and send them out in a different order. So even, and I mentioned how, how Hopper defends against strong adversaries. So even if you're my internet service provider, my ISP, sees every packet going into my home router and every packet going out of it, you cannot link incoming and outgoing traffic. And that's how a mixnet is so much more private than even other solutions like Tor. That's pretty cool. Now, and the second uh, pretty significant improvement upon Tor is like, you know, how many of the listeners are running a Tor node? Well, probably not many, right? And if you now, are, you wouldn't say yes. And if you are, you wouldn't say that. Rightly so, right? And that, and that, that actually, by the way, tells you something, right? Um, it's non-zero risk and cost to run a Tor node. Why would you do it? It's kind of cool, right? I agree. It's kind of cool. And I respect you immensely for running a Tor node. Um, but that is not, you know, Sebastian finding you immensely cool is not something that scales to internet scale, right? So probably Jeff Bezos would not run uh, Amazon Web Services just because if it was considered cool, right? So probably to take something to global scale, we need economic incentives. And that's something that we bring in with Hopper in a way that does not destroy the privacy that we seek to establish. That's an important kind of caveat. So uh, we have a mechanism called proof of relay, whereby in this example that I just brought, like Sebastian is sending data via Alice, Bob and Charlie to Chantal. Alice, Bob and Charlie are getting paid for the service if they can prove that they correctly forwarded a packet, that they relayed this packet unaltered. And that is at the heart of Copper, Hopper, our incentive mechanism called proof of relay. So again, Alice, Bob and Charlie can each individually prove that they have forwarded a packet and with that proof, they can receive a payment in Hopper tokens. And that's how we bring economic incentives to take privacy to global scale. Wow. That Okay, so I didn't know all of this and I feel like, I feel like there's so much, there's so much. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a lot of layers that are coming together here. Yeah, it really is like an onion. Yeah, that's that's actually very much what's going on here, right? Also on the, on the transport layer, I didn't mention that, but we do have this onion encryption. So like when I send this data packet, uh, you know, like Alice is taking the first layer of this onion encryption off and like Bob the next and Charlie the next and Chantal is finally the only one who can take off the last onion encryption layer. So only if they all like forwarded this data correctly, um, you know, are you able to see my secret message to you? This is definitely this is definitely necessary, and I would love to know how 
Like what real world use cases you want to see. So we talked already about the first, right? I want to make the Web3 private for everyone. And that's why we built RPCH to, um, you know, get you privacy as you interface any sort of EVM chain. And, uh, you know, that's the first one, which I really want to see because I think it's absolutely desperately needed. But I don't want to stop, you know, when we talk only about kind of crypto as a vertical, I don't want to stop just at these wallet interactions. I want to bring privacy also to the consensus layer because these validators that are uh, validating Gnosis Chain and Ethereum mainnet, they're also not kept private, which is something that, that many people don't know. So if you run a validator, other people in the network see your IP address. And we did some pretty interesting research actually last year about de-anonymizing them, right? So we can find, we, we found out the IP address of every single individual validator. And now you can say, hey, Sebastian, so what? Well, I can now, when I know your IP address, I can launch an extremely targeted attack against that one validator and take him down for approximately 15 seconds. That's all it takes. And you'll be knocked out and you will miss out on, you know, a potentially huge amount of rewards. So we need privacy across the board in the Web3 space. But I don't want us to, to stop there. I want to go beyond crypto, right? Privacy is not just something that matters for crypto. Something that I'm personally very interested in is bringing privacy to the medtech domain. So um, I worked in uh, the biomedical domain before I entered crypto. And I see a lot of issues there. Basically, in um, on the biomedical side, we are only starting digitalization, as shocking as it sounds, because, you know, in the meantime, there's so many data privacy concerns. Compliance is getting harder by the day. And I think we can um, unlock a lot of value there that, um, yeah, it helps people in the medical field by digitalization that doesn't harm them and doesn't, you know, allow random third parties to harvest patients' data. Oh, wow. Okay. I would love to for you to touch on your, your med tech background. Um, it's, it's been, it's been a while. Um, so I was working as a PhD in postdoc here at ETH Zurich and, um, I was actually working on micro devices for biomedical applications. So how can we find, um, you know, so the, one of the coolest projects that I worked towards the end of my academic time before I jumped ship, ship to get all in on crypto was actually a, um, device for drug discovery that helps us find, um, kind of new drugs against parasitic diseases. Um, that are yeah very prevalent in large parts of the world that nobody really cares about because you can't really make money in it. So um, that's something that's desperately needed, and you know where uh, a lot of automation and a lot of micro technology can be used. You know the technology that we've been using for decades to build faster CPUs, faster GPUs, and so on. Like this leaves this long trail of technology behind, which is kind of outdated and thereby actually very cheap for other use cases. And yeah, so there's this whole field, which is exploring the use of these technologies, kind of outdated, not anymore cutting edge technologies for totally different use cases, such as drug discovery and, you know, analysis of um, like microcellular organisms and uh, yeah, improving health of the human body. This is really interesting, and I don't know if this actually will be in the podcast, but I studied material science and I did a bit of biomaterials, but most recently I was on this um, startup accelerator and there's there was this team and they're still building, I think they got seeded by um, the fund, 
they're using nanomaterials to make targeted drug delivery. That's super cool. Yeah, so I think it's has energy, very interesting. And uh, yeah, also recently I started seeing that there's some overlap between, um, you know, uh, crypto and biomedical sciences of people who fund um, kind of novel research um, by crypto means and participation in the IP that results from it. Very interesting topics going yeah, on. Yeah, no, there is. There is a lot. Um, but yeah, I just have to dive into that. Back to what we were talking about. Uh, regarding what you said about like the validator layer and it, you know, not being as private as we um, as we want and necessarily need. I mean, that is a big concern because obviously, for us, the, like Gnosis chain. Validators are underpinning like decentralization for us, and you know, and we're really striving to increase the Nakamoto coefficient and essentially just um, increase the distribution of validators across the world. But we also want them to be safe, and that's very important for us. So yes, I hope that we um, we see this use case. So absolutely, uh, just you know, to to not uh, get the hopes too high that we will solve this tomorrow, um, it's very challenging. And the primary reason why this is very challenging to address the consensus layer is because people want things to be fast, right? Why? Because people want primarily fast finality. So you don't want to wait, you know, I don't know, an hour or, um, or, or a week, you know, for a block to be final. Ideally, we want... Um, what people call like um, single single slot finality, so that it's kind of like immediately final after after one block. Now, to get ever faster, you want ever faster data throughput also, and that's kind of challenging because there's this fundamental trade-off called the anonymity trilemma, which is a trade-off. Like all good things in life seem to be trilemmas, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's this fundamental trade-off between strong anonymity low latency and low bandwidth overhead right so if you if you're willing to have super slow communication then you know you can get very good privacy and you also don't need a lot of data if you're willing to incur like an insane um, bandwidth overhead right if you're if your laptop is sending like gigabytes and gigabytes of data then you can also do stuff like pretty quickly but you know typically we are constrained there and in this triangle there's no free lunch so and that is one concern on the consensus layer specifically, which is already bandwidth heavy, which you know needs low latency and now also wants privacy, right? That's a tough one. There's trilemmas everywhere in this space. Oh my goodness. My last question is, is what inspired you to, to build Hopper? Like why? We know the problem. Yeah, so actually, yeah, I've, I've been working in the crypto space basically since Ethereum launched. I've been absolutely fascinated by, you know, what this crazy technology allows us to build. And um, I truly believe in decentralized applications. I don't really care about DeFi so much because I'm not a finance guy. I care, I care about actually decentralized applications that, um, that are awesome. And... You know, we, we tried to, to build decent, truly decentralized applications, and then we saw, okay, there's a bunch of things that already work, right? Decentralized value transfer networks called blockchains exist, right? Decentralized data storage. Um, there's a bunch of like really good teams working on it. IPFS slash Filecoin, Arweave, and a bunch of other, others like storage. Then there's decentralized compute, right? There was a bunch of players there. Some some of them are, are still around. But the most obvious fundamental layer um, was missing or had no natively private um, component. That's data transport. There was no go-to solution 
to privately transmit data on the Web3. And that's kind of the one puzzle piece that I saw missing and that we committed to address at Hopper. I love that. I also agree. I'm like, you know, there is more more to Web3 than DeFi. Um, So you really can build for any problem. It doesn't have to be tokens all the time. Yeah, yeah. It, I always say, you know, how many, you know, how many digital um, apps or, or technologies do you use in a day and how much of that is finance, right? Like if you look at the apps on your mobile, right, how excited are you to open your mobile app and how many times do you do that a day, uh, your mobile banking app versus, you know, social media versus interacting with your friends, taking pictures, sending pictures and stuff like that, right? So, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to exploring that in the crypto space. Um yeah, and getting the infrastructure right to do that safely for all of us. Yeah, I, I'm also excited to see kind of what other projects um, are building something that isn't necessarily like a financial tool. I agree that maybe um, building DeFi or building DeFi applications will help like bridge the gap between the real world. Um, but I don't think it's the be all and end all. So I'm also excited. Yeah, I agree completely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sebastian, for tuning into this episode of Get to Know This. And we hope that our listeners have enjoyed our deep dive into blockchain privacy, data protection, and also a little bit of medtech. But in particular, we've learned a lot about Hopper and RPCH. As always, we aim to make complex topics in the Web3 space more accessible to all listeners. And we hope we've achieved that today. We encourage you to keep exploring the Gnosis ecosystem and all it has to offer. And we look forward to bringing you more exciting content in the future. Don't forget to subscribe to get to Gnosis and follow us and hop out on social media. All of our links are in the description. Welcome to Get to Gnosis, a podcast brought to you by the Gnosis Builders team. I'm your host, Chantelle Omoyi. 